Language Talk is a series of podcasts of interest to Kentucky World Language Association members seeking information about important events, initiatives, and professional development opportunities. Each month, we will be talking with people in the know about world languages from across the state. Topics range from collaboration to the program review, from ACTFL news to interviews with master teachers. Language Talk is produced monthly by the Kentucky World Language Association Board and the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Kentucky. Welcome to Language Talk KWLA. This is your host, Laura Roche Youngworth, and I'd like to extend a huge welcome back to all of our listeners. This is our third year partnering with the University of Kentucky for our podcast series, and I think it's going to be our best year yet. From pedagogical strategies to research and national and state initiatives, we will continue to address topics germane not only to Kentucky educators, but also educators across the nation. And as always, we will continue to promote proficiency-based practices, as well as advocate for the learning of world languages and cultures. Today's topic is twofold. First, we'll talk about news and updates within the Kentucky World Language Association, in particular the upcoming KWA conference. Then we'll change gears a bit and we'll discuss six core practices that can help even the most experienced teacher focus on proficiency-based instruction. Joining me to share news and updates are members of the Kentucky World Language Association's board. We have President Sarah Meredith and the post-secondary liaison, Jean-Marie Rouillet-Willoughby. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's great to be here. Well, I'm excited you're both here. And Jean-Marie, as always, thank you for producing and making these podcasts uh, a dream. It's been a dream that's become a reality. And without you, we would not be making them. So thank you. Well, you know we're excited about it. So we hope, like you said, this is the best year ever. It will be. I, I feel it in the bones. Okay, so we're going to start with KWA. And what I would love for our listeners to know is a brief overview of KWA, especially if someone's not a member or they've never heard of us. What would they find out from KWA? Thus, what is our mission? How large is our association? What are some of the major benefits members or even non-members can get from what we do? Sarah? Thanks. Well, Kentucky World Language Association is an organization for world language teachers from Kentucky and surrounding states. We have members that reach down as far as Louisiana and up north even into Ohio and Michigan. Wow. There are over 600 members of KWLA, whether current or retired teachers or university students that are interested in teaching. And our annual conference brings in over 400 participants for a weekend of great professional development. The KWLA board currently boasts 15 voting and non-voting members, as well as 10 regional representatives actively working for world languages in Kentucky. I'm the current president of the organization, and at the completion of our fall conference, Lucas Gravitt will be stepping into the role of president. The mission of KWLA states that we are a network of individuals who support, promote, and advocate the teaching and learning of a variety of world languages and cultures. We're a clearinghouse for data, information, and research relevant to effective programs and practices in the learning and teaching of world languages and cultures, which I know Jean Marie is going to hit on a little later. Right. We're a provider of professional development for P through 16 teachers of world languages and cultures. So we're open to members and non-members to gain benefits from professional development, even just something as simple as meeting with colleagues and getting to know them on a different level. 
Wonderful. And we are the biggest association in Kentucky, correct, for yes, world language? Yes, we are. Okay. So let's begin with a quickly approaching event, the annual KWLA conference. When and where is it? Well, the conference is taking place at the Crown Plaza at the Louisville Airport, September 15th through the 17th. We're so excited about our new venue. There's ample free parking, free Wi-Fi, on-site dining options, and much, much more. There are even places to charge your phones in the hall. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> the theme for the conference is actually a continuation of last year's theme. While last year we built the bridge to proficiency, this year we're crossing that bridge to proficiency. We like to unofficially call it, you've learned to talk the talk, now it's time to walk the walk. That's good. And for someone who's not been before, or maybe they haven't been in a few years, uh, can you explain the format of the conference? Like, what's the overall schedule? Well, the conference begins on Thursday afternoon with registration and then several three-hour workshops that run from 6 to 9 p.m. that night. The night ends with the president's reception at 9, which is a great way to informally meet the entire board of KWLA. Can anybody show up at that? Absolutely anybody that is registered for the conference can come into the president's reception. Okay. Then on Friday, we start first thing with registration at 8 a.m. and follow that up with our general assembly, which includes our keynote speaker and his address. There's going to be sessions, workshops, and lunch provided on Friday, followed by another reception that evening, and then language-specific immersion dinners that the affiliate organizations are going to be putting on in Louisville. Right. Saturday has our affiliate organization meetings, such as AATG, AATF, AATSP, etc. More sessions and workshops, as well as our awards luncheon, where the 2016 Teacher of the Year will be announced. Okay, and Jean Marie, I know, don't university chairs or something get together during this? Absolutely. The university chairs from all across the state, both private and public institutions, meet and talk about what's going on, obviously, at the conference, in our programs, and the Outreach Clearinghouse, which I'll talk about later, mm -hmm. emerged actually out of one of those meetings. It's great to see this conference isn't just P through 12. We have college folks there as well, so it's quite rich, I think, and diverse in who's there and, and the thinking that's happening. You mentioned the opening session. Who is the keynote speaker this year? The keynote speaker this year is actually the 2012 Actful Teacher of the Year, Yoazama, a Japanese teacher from California. He is quite the dynamic personality. Really? And do you, perchance, do you know what his platform is or what does he focus on? or? Well, he's actually keeping the topic of his keynote a little bit of a secret from me. Um, I've asked him a couple of times, and he hasn't quite told me yet, but he says it's going to be fantastic. Oh, geez. <laughs> I'm excited for that. What are some of the uh, workshops? Well, one of the workshops that we have every year that we're really excited that we're offering two times this year is our new teacher workshop. We're going to offer that workshop both on Thursday evening as well as Saturday morning. This workshop is great for anyone who is new to the profession or who's been gone for a while. And the great thing is if you went last year, you can come again this year because the presenters are different. Every year the presenters change because we select our teacher of the year as well as our new teacher of the year to be the ones who instruct this workshop. And when you say new, is it up to how many years would you? We classify new as up to five years in the position. Okay. We also are going to have some exciting workshops throughout the weekend. Our featured speaker is actually our keynote, Yoazama, who is going to give a three-hour workshop on using IPAs in the classroom. 
There's also workshops on the proficiency-based classroom, the power of literacy and music, and applying a global lens in the classroom. All of the workshops are included in the price of the conference, with the exception of our featured workshop, and it is $25 to spend three hours with this incredible educator. So all the workshops are three hours though, correct? All workshops are three hours long. Okay. And then you mentioned there's concurrent sessions uh, throughout both Friday and Saturday, correct? Yes. Okay, roughly how many are there? What are some samples? There are so many exciting sessions that are going to be given. It's kind of hard to even narrow down yeah. which ones are going to be the best. The one thing that we are most excited about with our sessions is that we are actually following Actful Six Core Practices as the labeling of our sessions. So every session has down at the bottom of it which one of the six core practices it ties most closely to. Good. And if you're attending Boston uh, this November to go to the Actful Conference, you'll see they have done the exact same thing. Okay. And uh, looking through the schedule, I noticed that the sessions are, they range from instructional strategies mm -hmm. one might use in the classroom. There were some that were more theory-based. There were some that were language-specific. So it's a really nice range of sessions. It is. Anyone sessions. can find something that they can come in and take away to use on Monday morning or something that will really make them start thinking. Mm -hmm. um, we have presenters that are elementary school teachers. We have immersion teachers. We have university teachers. And our featured presenter, Yoazama, is also giving one of the sessions. And that one, he is actually uh, doing something along the lines of target language use and technology. Wow. And just to clarify, because sometimes it's hard. You'll go to a conference and you don't know how big it is. You don't know how many choices. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. What We have four to five sessions plus workshops all happening at the same time, yes, right? Yes. There are about five to six sessions oh, okay. that occur uh, any given time during the day. And then there are at least one to two workshops that are going to be running concurrently along that schedule. So everyone everyone's needs can be met. Absolutely. Okay, Okay. that's really important. Um, how does one register for the conference? What are the differences in cost and can you register on site? All right, so the easiest thing that I can tell you is to just go to our website, www.kwla.org slash conference slash 2016. Or if you just wanna to go to kwla.org, Click on conference and click 2016 conference. It'll take you right to the registration page. The very top button you see is register now. Um, in order to register for the conference, you just simply have to press the button, fill out our form, and then it'll direct you to a PayPal page where you can either pay directly by credit card, say that you're sending a check, or even register using a PO from your school district. Okay. There are different rates available for the days that you choose to attend such as a full conference rate, which gets you Friday and Saturday, as well as the meals for both Friday and Saturday. And you can come Thursday night, absolutely included in the price. There's also a Friday only and a Saturday only. And if you really don't want to attend the awards luncheon on Saturday, because maybe you have some uh, other colleagues that you want to reconnect with and you all want to dine together, you can actually reduce the cost of your registration 
by subtracting the $25 by excluding yourself from that awards luncheon. So what are those breakdown of prices? If you're going to do the whole conference, how much is it? If you're going to do the whole conference, it's $160 for both days, which is an incredible yeah, that's a good amount deal. of PD that you are getting access to, two meals that you have, as well as two receptions uh, and the opportunity to hear the featured speaker. Okay. Uh, then we also have them broken down by rates of whether you are a current teacher, a retired teacher, or if you're a full-time university student. Good. Good. Now, the registration on site. Yes, we will offer registration on site. The prices do increase oh. uh, on site by about $10 okay. for each one. But the one thing that we can't guarantee is the ability to have the lunches. The lunches are a first they sell out. Yeah. They do sell out very quickly. Uh, so if you do want to come, just go ahead and register uh, and, and tell us that you're going to register with a PO or you're going to send a check. And if you are, this is just a, a picky little thing, but I know a lot of teachers use purchase orders. Mm -hmm. um, do you need to bring a copy of that with you at the registration table? Well, that all depends. We really would like to have the number of the PO when you register. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that number when you do the registration and you get it a little later, please just send it to us or you can bring it with you on the day of the conference. Okay. But the PO number is crucial for us in sending an invoice back to your school so that we can actually get right. the payment received. Okay, I know there was a lot of just little simple questions about that last year with POs. Um, finally, for those needing to spend the night, whether it be Thursday and or Friday, like I know I'm going to spend both nights, is there a hotel offering conference rate prices? Absolutely. The hotel is offering a special rate of $109 a night as long as you register by August 24th. Okay. So we're cutting it close yeah. on the deadline there. You just have to call 1-888-233-9527 and tell them you want to reserve under the KWLA block. And what hotel is this? It's the Crown Plaza at the Louisville Airport. So the hotel that is hosting the conference is actually where we are so staying as well. We so don't need to drive anywhere. There's it's no right driving. There. You could park on Thursday night and not leave again until Saturday afternoon. Awesome. Okay, for the past year and a half, KWA has offered professional learning for its members that helps provide foundational knowledge for proficiency-based instruction, as well as fine-tuning for those already embracing this mindset. Can you share the format of the professional development we've offered in the past and maybe just give us a little glimpse into this year, what's being planned? Absolutely. It's been quite an exciting almost two years in the state of Kentucky. I did learn this summer that most states around the country are actually looking to Kentucky to see what we're doing and then modeling their PD after what we have done. Wow. It's a, it's a really pretty humbling experience to have people say, oh, you're from Kentucky? Can you tell me more about what you're doing? <laughs> so aside from hosting one of the very first state conferences to take place in the school year, where teachers can attend outstanding sessions and workshops with nationally recognized language teachers, we've moved into the realm of podcasts and webinars. So whether you're a first time listener or a regular fan, the KWLA Language Talks podcast has been a great way to distribute some of the newest ideas to our constituents, as well as provide information about important happenings at the state level of world language education in Kentucky. Also started by our professional development chair and her committee was to replace the old one day regional workshops with a more streamlined webinar where participants can learn new techniques from an area close to their own schools. This format allowed a moderator to facilitate a pre-recorded PD session and allow for participant discussions. We've even offered these webinars to our members if they missed one of the regional presentations. 
their access to the webinar based on the website is good for an entire year. Mm -hmm. As for what's coming up this year, once the conference concludes, the PD committee will be strategizing for the next PD session. We're hoping to focus this year's work on the six core practices from ACTFL. And I will say the moderator sessions for PD that you mentioned, I really have enjoyed those because we are having regional reps step up as leaders. They're getting this leadership skill, um, whether they've ever led a PD or before, um, before that moment or not, they've got a script. They've got something to fall back on. We're helping and coaching them to be the leaders of the future. And I just think it's wonderful that um, KWLA is able to reach out and help build this capacity for becoming leaders. That's really Absolutely. important. As you mentioned earlier, KWLA offers an opportunity for students to showcase and also compete with their language proficiency knowledge through the World Language Showcase. This showcase has evolved over time and is very unique to the state of Kentucky. I don't think there's any other state who has anything like this. Can you give our listeners a basic overview of what the showcase is and maybe the timeline of what happens so they can start planning now uh, for students to be prepared and to compete? You're absolutely right. There is not another state that has anything like what we offer. There are states that follow our old festival idea. Um, for instance, Texas has a really fabulous one just solely for French, but huh. we are really the only ones that follow a proficiency-based model for this competition. So it's an opportunity for students to show what they can do with the language, yet provides them with that all-important aspect of competition that drives a lot of students. Students are assessed in all three modes of proficiency, presentational, interpersonal, and interpretive. Any student, whether middle school or high school, has the opportunity to participate. Students create a project. That can be an art project, a model, they could cook something, they can dance or perform a monologue, um, etc. as just the beginning of their participation. On the day of the showcase, the students give a presentation of their project to a judge, who then gives them a presentational assessment based on the levels of proficiency stated by ACTFL. Then the judge will ask them a series of questions in order to assess their interpersonal level. They absolutely cannot prepare for this right, section. Right. It could be something as crazy as why did you choose to paint this green instead of gray? Or it could be why Monet? Or it could be what makes the macaroon so special? Mm -hmm. Any sort of question that will catch them off guard but really give them the opportunity to show what they can do with their language. Students also take a reading and listening multiple choice exam to assess their interpretive level. Those students at the novice high or better are then eligible to compete for a first, second, or third place ranking. We award at the novice high and intermediate levels right now. Okay. Students are also given the opportunity to take cultural classes throughout the day in order to learn more about other cultures than just the language that they're studying. All this takes place on a college campus, and we're pleased to announce that the showcase will be held at the University of Kentucky this year. So it's coming back home. It is coming back home. The dates will be released after the fall conference. Okay. Okay. Well, if they want any more information, who are the people overseeing the showcase? We have two showcase co-chairs right now. That's Lydia Kohler and Aggie Mannion. The best way to reach both of them at the same time is to send an email to showcase at kwla.org. And they'll be happy to answer any questions you might have. 
Lastly, I know that the board has worked diligently over the last couple of years to really make KWLA a source of knowledge for its members and non-members as well. And this shows, I think, in the quantity and array of opportunities we have. Jean-Marie, can you share a little bit about the Outreach Clearinghouse and what resources are available through it? Sure. As I said, uh, this emerged out of the meeting of chairs a couple of years ago where we were talking about the issues of activism and supporting language education and how there seems to be a divide in many cases between university level faculty who are on the front lines and school faculty who are on the front lines. Right. But we're not talking about what each other needs and how to support this kind of activism. So we created the Outreach Clearinghouse in an effort to do three things. First, to provide contact information from local chairs of university programs in your area so that you know you have a point person. If you want someone to come to your classroom and speak, if you want someone to give you advice about using certain types of materials, if you want someone to talk to you about the best way to use proficiency um, or interpersonal training or intercultural communication skills, what's the research that's being done, what are they doing, these are the point people. Now you can contact every single one of them if you want to, right. the emails are all there, the phone numbers are there, but if you want someone who's targeted and in your area and language, this is one way to do so it. So they're listed by colleges and they're universities. by colleges and universities, it's the department chair who's the point person then for whoever the faculty are at that campus. And just want to emphasize, you did not just go find random names. You contacted these people. They're willing to help and support P through 12 teachers, right? Exactly. Okay. Um, this, like I said, emerged out of this meeting where we discussed this as a need. And so we are standing by. Right, waiting. <laughs> and waiting for anything you need. And it works. That is, I get emails, uh, and I know others of the chairs do as well, but I get emails from people who are in this area of the state and even farther afield saying, what's going on in regard to something at UK about mm -hmm. languages or uh, who should I contact in my area that can help me out? And that's wonderful. That's what it was class. about. So that's yeah. great. You're getting them. So that was, that's part A. That's the uh, multi-level support system, right? Mm -hmm. The second part is the issue of resources for teachers that are on a broader scale, meaning I might have a question for someone at a particular university and I need a person to answer it, but I may also want to know what ACTFL's doing. I may also want to know what my own languages affiliate is doing in the state and broader, the national level or even internationally. So there's an entire list that goes on and on and on about national organizations that you can join, um, about activities and national conferences, about resources for how to know what proficiency levels mean, including videos that are demonstrative of novice high proficiency, for example. All of those links are there under the resources link. So that's the second piece of this three-part okay. division in the Outreach Clearinghouse. And the third, and this is the part that needs the most development and really will rely not only on Koala's or KWLA's proficiency, um, professional development, but also 
on teachers. This is ways to get better training and professional development that are in the region, as well as classroom resources that people can share. Right. And every year we ask people, because we know at the conference, people are talking about all kinds of exciting new resources that they found, either online or webinars or even new books and music and radio programs and all kinds of things that they may know about, but nobody else knows about. Yeah, that is when we really need to right. have a focus issue. And That's our a good best point. resources are our expert teachers. Yeah, good point. So we have professional development opportunities like the KWLA conference and the KFLC, the Languages, Cultures, and Literatures conference that's held at UK every year, and other activities there. But what we really want to develop, and we need teachers to give us more resources, are connections to materials that will help with professional development right. as well as classroom practice. Right. So if someone knows of a blog or knows of some sort of resource, all they need to do is email us. That's right. And Either we'll, you or me, Laura, mm -hmm. and we can we'll get it, it on, on the there. website. Um, and if you want to see what's on the website now, so you know you're not duplicating effort, maybe whatever your resource is is already there, it's www.kwla.org forward slash O-C-H for Outreach Clearinghouse. Well, I love that you shared that. I love that you stated what a goal is because each year the Clearinghouse, I think, becomes more robust. And this podcast itself is a um, extension of the conversation you had about the Clearinghouse. So we really need our teachers to step up and become involved with us and we'll just become stronger and better. And come to our session on the Outreach Clearinghouse yes. at KWLA where you can share resources and ideas right there every year. We have gathered ideas for teachers and things mm -hmm. that they need and tried to build it not only into the Outreach Clearinghouse, but also into ideas for professional development. So I know last year um, an idea that was shared, and we will address it this year, is there were need, needs stated for maybe quick podcasts, short podcasts for principals. Right. So they understand what um, they should be looking for in a proficiency-based classroom or they can understand about the um, program review happening in Kentucky or whatever. So we will be making those short, quick info podcasts that get down and dirty <laughs> with whatever concept. And we'll be advertising those to everyone. So if you have an idea for one of those, um, please share it. If someone wants to join KWA but they can't go to the conference, how can they do that? Very simply, come to our website, www.kwla.org, and there is an opportunity on the link about us to become a member. It's very simple. It's a $35, 35 fee for okay. a one-year membership, which gets you access to anything and everything we do in KWLA. Uh, that's for current teachers. It's $25 if you are a retired teacher, and it's $15 if you are a current full-time university student hoping to teach someday. Okay, we're going to change gears a bit and kind of go into our second topic. And this kind of stems from an opportunity you had, Sarah. Uh, was it a couple of years ago? It was last summer. Last summer. Mm -hmm. And it was called Lil. What was this and what did you get out of Lil? All right. Well, Lil is the Leadership Initiative for Language Learning. And I have to say that slowly because I can never remember what <laughs> yeah. all of those letters actually stand for. A lot I of L's. Them up all the time. This was an organization, a group of people that was created by Actful, 
The regional organizations such as SCOLT, Southwest Colt, Central States, NEL, and several others such as TEL that was there to help build a network of professionals dedicated to language teaching that would grow into the next leaders of the profession, as well as foster growth through effective language teaching. So the inaugural LIL took place in July of 2015 at The Ohio State University with 30 emerging leaders hmm. sponsored by an organization. That could have been a state organization. Like for me, KWLA sponsored me to go, and I was selected as one of the emerging leaders. People went on behalf of the regional organizations, such as central states, or they might have gone because their school district felt they were a great district supervisor and wanted to give them the opportunity to grow more. Well, we're going to talk about what you learned in a second, um, but first, a little background to that, ACTFUL is kind of doing a campaign, is what I'm going to call it, uh, where they're really trying to help teachers be as proficiency-based in their instructional practices as possible. And it's called what? The Six Core the Practices? The Six Core Practices. The great thing about Lil was that it was not just the 30 emerging leaders, but there were 70 teacher leaders from across the country Goodness. who put up their own money to come. And I do have to say that even though it was in Ohio, Kentucky was the most represented state with 11 participants well, last year. That's a lot. It was incredible. We even had an entire department from one school come to Lil. It was incredible. And we all spent the week learning with Dr. Eileen Glisson. Who's amazing. Who is amazing mm -hmm. and fantastic. And she really taught us all about the six core practices, these six practices that were basically the, the fundamental best practices for effective proficiency-based learning. The other thing that made this unique was we focused on leadership as well. So the emerging leaders actually took a big role in the work with the teacher leaders. All of us had a summer reading we had to do. Last year, we read Great Leaders Grow by Mark Blanchard. And then we were the ones who led the what they called Lil Cafe discourse sessions with the participants as we really delved into those core practices. Then this summer focused on our leadership uh, almost exclusively. We met in Chicago at Niles North High School, which is the home base for Todd Bowen, one of the coordinators uh, and hmm. founders of Lil uh, in Skokie, Illinois. And we read The Truth About Leadership by Barry Posner, which if any board member is listening, you might want to start finding uh, some information about that because you don't know it, but that's going to be your reading for the winter retreat this year. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Yay, homework. <laughs> but I am excited. Well, we're going to get into these practices. We're going to talk about each one, and we'd love for you to share what they are, so one by one, and maybe give an example of what this would look like in the World Language Classroom. All right, okay? great. I'm so excited to talk about these because they really are so easy and you wonder why everybody's not doing them right but some of them are actually really difficult when you go and you sit down with the nitty-gritty and go well how does this look in my middle school classroom or my high school classroom how can I apply this in Latin if it works in Spanish uh, so these practices really are global and universal but actually are, really have a lot of meat to them, which and is I, why I'm so excited that we might do some little sections in future right. podcasts where we really just focus on one of the core practices at a time. 
I have to warn you, don't try to implement all six of them <laughs> at the same time. Well, I am going to do a disclaimer because, you know, I've, I've seen what they are, little, little preview to them. And they're very logical. Teachers are going to go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like anything. Once you see, once your attention is brought to the basic core things you should be doing, it makes you so much stronger. So a lot of these, I think the listeners are going to go, oh, I do that, or I know that. But when you think of all six, it really makes that whole instructional experience for the learners happen. And that's what's so exciting about them. So what is the first one? All right. So the first practice is to facilitate target language comprehensibility. A lot of big words. What is that? A lot of big words there. So let's break it down. In short, this is the 90% rule. Okay. So not only should the teacher be using the target language 90% of the time, but the students should as well. A lot of teachers are like, yeah, I'm on board. I talk 90% of the time in the target language, but your students only speak 8% of the time in the target language. And that's where you have to realize you have to bring the target language use of the students up too, because it's all about comprehensibility, being understood. And if they're not using that target language, they're not getting their their point across. And it may be you're starting out with one word answers and one word answers are okay as you're building their confidence in their comprehensibility. So this is all about comprehensible input. And the great thing is that at the conference this year, there is a round table discussion that is gonna focus on 90% target language use in the classroom. That one's gonna take place on Saturday morning. Well, I, I want to say something because this is almost a personal um, mission. Comprehensible input, you know, it's been around forever, mm-hmm. um, but it's really becoming a theory that teachers are, are focusing on. And the one thing I really want listeners to remember is it's not just about comprehensible input. You have to have the output. Exactly. And that's what you're saying with the 90% with mm-hmm. the kids. So I have been in classrooms where amazing teaching the most engaging activities are happening and the kids are silent because it's the teacher talking, talking, talking. So we need that output as well. And I love that that's part of the first principle. One of the great things that we learned at Lil this year, one of our leaders was Rita Oleksak, who actually is the district supervisor up in Glastonbury, Connecticut. Fascinating system. They are almost 100% target language use in their classrooms. I watched an elementary Chinese teacher in a group of fourth graders do an entire lesson in Chinese on bartering, and the children were bartering with her as if they were at the marketplace buying food and fruits, and she had different levels happening. Some people had objects. Some people had cards to help promote the ideas of what they needed to say. Some people were completely doing it on their own. It was fascinating to watch. Wow, that's a good example of differentiated instruction mm-hmm. in the in the world language classroom. Um, what's the second practice? So the second practice is guiding learners through interpreting authentic resources. Okay. So in other words, this is we should be using authentic reading and listening tasks. So while the Dr. Seuss book is great because it's familiar to them, it's not an authentic resource. It's not a French children's book or a Latin book. Dr. Seuss didn't write in Latin. It just didn't happen. So you have to find the authentic resources, whether that's reading or that is uh, a writing piece, or you're looking at even the listening from a movie, right, or a song. And you have to use then appropriate scaffolding to get your students to where they're understanding it and interpreting it. 
So if you're having trouble wrapping your head around this one, Julie Human has a workshop at KWLA on Saturday afternoon that's all about scaffolding authentic Perfect. resources. Now, one complaint I hear all the time is when you have novice level learners, which all of us do, level one for sure, it's really hard to find authentic resources that are age appropriate that your kids can understand. Well, let me give you just one great resource that I found this summer, and I don't know how I have never found this before. Infographics are the, the wave of authentic resources because you can get so much information in a visually pleasing way. And Laura Terrell on Pinterest has infographics for almost every topic really? for several languages. And when I discovered her Pinterest board, I think I lost about three hours of my life <laughs> because their actual infographics, like for instance, French health, it was from the French health administration, but it was simplified to where a novice learner could go. I recognize that. I recognize huh. that. And now I can pull my base words that I know and start to understand more about the culture. It's a fantastic resource. So that's Laura Terrell, T-E-R-R-I-L-L on Pinterest. We need to put that on our resources. Yeah, we do. <laughs> and you're absolutely right. Um, it, and it doesn't even have to be static graphics. It can be graphics on a weather report. You don't have to understand all of the things that the meteorologist is saying, but you understand the core pieces that a novice listener or reader can pull out and know what the weather is in Paris today. Right. Exactly. Or in Russia yesterday, because got to get Russian in there. <laughs> What's the third? So the third is designing oral interpersonal communication tasks. So in this one, you have to create interpersonal speaking opportunities for not just pairs, but also small groups and the classroom as a whole. And I think a lot of teachers are like, I do interpersonal tasks all the time because we have those little exercises in our textbooks mm. where the student asks the questions and the pair answers the questions. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm here to tell you that's not interpersonal. They know what's coming. They don't even have to be listening to the question to answer it correctly. Right. That is not interpersonal. One of the great things that I've started implementing in my classroom would be the information gap activities. Those are ones where one student has, for instance, I did one where they had a picture of a, a store display window. One person was the manager and the other person was the assistant manager. And they left behind, the manager left behind the picture of what they wanted the display window to be. So they described their window to their partner and they were sitting back to back. What then happened was the assistant manager says, oh no, something didn't come in in the shipment. So I had to redo the display window, here's what I did. And they describe their picture to their partner. Then they turn around and compare them because Good. neither one of them knew what the other one really had in front of them. That is an interpersonal task. Right. And that's, I, I like that you brought up the textbook. Um, I, I hate to say, I'm going to say it. I, I, I have issues, I'm trying to word this nicely, I have issues with teachers who are so glued to a textbook. You can use one to in, inform your curriculum, to inform well, what words would I want to teach, or maybe to get an idea of what grammar would work well with a certain unit. But textbooks are not 
fully, no matter what they claim, they are not your tool for interpersonal. They're not your tool for presentational. They will practice grammatical structures and functions in that way. And, you know, there's a time and place for such things, but it should be rare. And so letting go of that textbook and doing what you just said is, is really a goal. It's a goal for teachers. If you're not already there, that is a goal that I would hope for, you know, anyone who is glued to your textbook. Yes, give it up. Yeah, well, put <laughs> it aside. Put it don't aside. Let it, don't let it dictate. Exactly. It's one of it's a whole a tool. piece of toolbox. It's in it your toolbox. It is a tool in That's your toolbox. Right. Yes. It's the Phillips head screwdriver that you use sometimes, exactly. you know? Okay, so what? which one are we on? We're now on number four. Four? So the fourth practice is plan with the backwards design model. Mm. So figure out what you want your end result to be. Once you have the end result then you can backwards design how you're going to get there. So for any teacher that has no idea what I'm talking about, please go out and get Grant Wiggins' book, Understanding by Design. It is totally old school, but it is the best research method of how you can start beginning your backwards design. You've got to think about it like this. You don't plan all the details of your vacation before you pick your destination. You pick your destination and then you figure out what you're going to do when you get there. That's backwards design. That's good. Now, I will say, I will say, working with a lot of new teachers, student teachers, when you are new, you don't know where you're going. You don't know where you're going. You're along the ride with the kids. And that's where experience makes UBD so much easier. But that's when you collaborate with colleagues who know where they're going. It's where you look at your standards and, and they guide you. contact Actful about becoming a part of their mentorship program. Mm -hmm. Because they pick you a mentor from around the country who will collaborate with you. And the great thing is a lot of these little participants are all applying to be mentors. So you do have these people who have been trained in this idea of the six core practices and their proficiency models. And even though we're not perfect, we can help get you. And they're still accepting mentees, aren't they? I believe they? they are still accepting Last mentees. Um, this is actually a danger of the textbook as well, because the textbook has done the design for you. Yeah. And it might not be the outcome that you necessarily are really going for, but because it's easy to follow it along, you follow it along. Right. And then you, you're, you, the textbook may be brilliant, but it might not be what your core practices need to address. Right. And I know for me, literally, if, if I showed you my state standard, it's got highlights and then a little writing. It'll say level 1B, level 1A, and so on. And I just flip through it. And it's almost like it falls into place. You see, oh, this interpersonal skill, this presentational, and you see that unit coming together. That's how I backwards design is, is using the standards. So everybody's got a little bit of a different approach. But as long as, like Sarah said, you know where you're going, you should know that before you start teaching a unit. And, and again, I will give new teachers a break. It's hard to know that. That's very hard. But that's when you reach out and you collaborate with your peers. So what's our fifth one? The fifth one is the one that is probably the hardest one for anyone to do. And what that's that? to teach grammar as a concept and use it in context. 
Mm, give examples. All right. So this is the hardest one for me because we have to remember that as teachers, it should focus on student meaning and the student should be worrying about what it means, not how to form it. It is not a great thing if your students can conjugate every regular ER, IR, and RE verb in French. <laughs> Good for them, but that is gone by the wayside because just because I recognize that's an RE verb doesn't mean I have any idea what that verb means and how to use it in the language. So you have to step away from being the grammar policeman, put your badge down, and let them worry about the meaning. Come back with the form later. Think about how you teach a toddler to speak. You don't constantly correct their form. The form will come. You worry about their meaning mm -hmm. and do they understand what they're saying and how they're saying it, right? And it's hard for teachers because almost none of us in the profession right now learned this way. Right. We oh, all learned point. through rote memorization, the kill it and drill it philosophy. Diagramming our diagramming sentences. Diagramming our loved sentences. It, loved it. Right. We all learned the old school way. It's only when our students start teaching that you're going to see the newer students go, oh, yeah, this is how we do it. Hmm. Because those teachers that are having a hard time with this concept, it's because we're having a hard time letting go of how we learned. Because if you really think about it, a lot of the ways that we teach are how we oh, sure. learned ourselves. Sure. And you said something, and, and it's a huge thing what you said. Uh, perfecting that verb conjugation, that verb tense, that is an advanced indicator on language proficiency. I just said advanced. It's not, it's novice. not novice. It's not intermediate. It's advanced. It's a marker for that. So the teacher in level one, level two class that expects everything the kid says to be perfectly done in the past or the present, you're expecting something that shouldn't be expected yet, which is a crazy concept. But yes, you need to have some sort of expectation. Maybe they'll just mess up a letter or two on the end. Or I, I realize we've got to have some sort of expectation on, okay, some form of conjugating is happening. <laughs> it might not be exactly right, but let it go. It's not important yet. One example of how you can look at this in your classroom is really the use of storytelling. Find, um, if you're trying to teach, for instance, the past tense, mm -hmm. make it simple. Start with singular conjugations. Give them a story or tell them a story and have them try to find what's the thing that's being highlighted here? Is it the fact that there's this random conjugated verb and then something that follows it that's part of that? And then they start to piece together. Through the, through the actual context. The pattern hey, and this so This is a pattern that's happening. Mm -hmm. And I actually learned that one of the worst things we could do is give them the identifier words, hmm. which I love to do because I'm always like, oh, well, if this word is here, you know it's past tense. All we did was tell them this is how you can cheat the system. You don't have to know it. You just have to recognize that one word. That's interesting. It was some, that was one that I've really been wrapping my head around all summer. Now, I know one thing, and Jean-Marie, you might want to speak to this. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it also depends on the age of the learner. So adult learners are different in the kids we have K through 12. Yeah, that's true. And adult learners can go either way. 
uh, and they can be extremely resentful if you're hiding mm -hmm. overt grammatical rules from them because that's how they've always learned um, and because that's the only way they can make sense of language. And, but then there are others who get angry because we spend too much time on these things. Right. And, you know, just let me feel my way. So we work very hard to develop the balance. Um, and it also depends on the language. Russian, for example, is extremely different than English. Uh, so if you don't talk overtly about grammar at certain points, they won't even recognize most of what is meaningful. Right. Um, and it is meaningful. And if you don't get those endings right with six different cases and three different genders, you will not be making any sense. Right. I'm not sure if UK is doing this, but I know like Marilyn was, um, they're having, let's say one day a week is grammar right. day. And then the other three or four days of classes, yeah. let's apply this grammar, but we're not going to talk about the grammar. Is that right? Yes. So um, that's kind of interesting how universities, but again, that's adult learners. Right. So it's not the young child that's mm -hmm. happening with. Okay. So we've got one last practice. Right. The last practice is provide a appropriate oral feedback. So we it's all about corrective feedback. And, and I have to admit, Laura just turned and looked at me like, why are you <laughs> what, talking about what? appropriate oral feedback? I didn't remember that one. <laughs> I'm not saying that there's, you know, that's interesting. Inappropriate as in don't say that to a kid, but it everything that you do feedback wise should be to mediate learning and language. What are examples of that? Okay. So your feedback has to be more than super when they give an answer orally, or if you are giving back a paper that they've written and you have slaughtered it with your red pen, but then written bon travail at the top, they don't understand. That's not appropriate corrective feedback. So it's what, not giving the learners anything. Pick something. If they okay. write a paper, pick the thing that you're looking for. This time I'm going to look for connect. Like you're looking at an intermediate level. I'm looking for connected thoughts. So you're looking for those words that connect sentences, oh, that's interesting. right? And that is what your feedback's all about because you can kill yourself as a teacher sitting at home every night grading for every single error mm -hmm. on the paper. And kill them. It and destroys them. Motivation. It destroys yeah. their motivation. It destroys their desire to, to learn the language, to work hard for you. But if you're, if you say tonight, I'm looking for this, then they know it's not that I'm letting go of the other stuff. I just have to make sure that I'm incorporating this because this is what she really is, is pushing for. Right. And it could be that you don't tell them this is what you're looking for. So it keeps them on their toes and they really do put their best effort forward. And I think that is one of the uh, best practices for any content area. I mean, mm -hmm. that's just a best practice in it teaching. It really is. And let go of the red pin, psychologically damaging. Let go damaging. of the red pin. <laughs> All right. Well, Sarah, I appreciate you sharing just kind of the intro of these. You are going to come back, correct? We yes, hope. I will be back. And we'll be highlighting each practice, one per podcast, and maybe we'll have some callers in with Sarah or she'll be giving more examples, but she'll be going in more uh, depth for each practice one at a time. So thank you so much for sharing what you learned at the Lil conference. Appreciate it. Well, this wraps up our Back to School podcast. I wish to thank again our guests, Sarah Meredith and Jean-Marie Rouillet-Willoughby for joining us and for their years of dedication. 
to our state's language association. Also, thank you to UK for once again providing the location and broadcasting of our podcast. This is Laura Rochelle Youngworth for Language Talk KWLA, wishing you a bonne rentrée and best wishes for a language-strong year. Au revoir.